The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So coming back from your small group discussions, uh, we want to allow some time here for any reflections that you had on how that experience was for you or any questions you have so far about right view and right intention. So we'll pass the mic around, and when you, get, when you uh, raise your hand and get the mic, please hold the mic close and speak into it with the tail end sticking out like that. That's how they work best. So how was that experience of getting together and talking in groups about some habit that you're ready to let go of and what you might let go into? I felt, um, initially thinking about it, I felt a little bit of embarrassment, you know, when you're, and also kind of like, oh, do I say some silly habit or something that's deep or meaningful? But um, but once we went around, um, it was, um, the embarrassment went away because we feel like you could see that you're all kind of same, you know, we're all, you know, we are humans and we tend to have similar experiences, so... That was um, comforting. Thank you for that. Raise your hand in this room if you're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're done with the Dharma, (laughs) please come up and teach. (laughs) Other reflections or questions that are coming up for you? I just feel moved to say again that this is not about making war on all your habits, you know? Don't forget that question from the first month about ease and keeping ease in mind. So finding a sense of ease with how you're living your life and why you're doing what you're doing is really important. Thanks, Chris. I think... um, I like the exercise. I just wanted to find out if you could add to what the second part of the question was, which um, I think how you go into it. Was that supposed to tap into a renunciation? And is the whole idea of renunciation as it comes to this exercise or intention, is the whole idea of renunciation about... Uh, renunciating the habit or the obsession or whatever you call it in a mindful way was that was that what i was supposed to get out of it yeah the second part of the question was was supposed to bring in some positive quality like what might you let go into was a phrase that i that i liked so we're not just like you're not just letting go of something that you've been enjoying but you're you're looking at it you want to let go of it because it's getting in the way of something that's more valuable to you so you know you can bring up reflection on the value that you want to open up to and give more time for in your life you know maybe you want to spend less time on the internet and more time you know talking to friends about what's going on these days or something like that you know so it was awareness of it. Yeah. 
rather than a substitution necessarily, correct? Right, awareness of it, right, or awareness of what value would be served by letting go of it so that it's not just a negative thing, but it's also got this positive aspect, right? There can be value in moving towards something positive, and it's really hard for us as human beings to, to, I think, to do that, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's easier to go, I'd like instead to do this. And also just the the whole move of the practice, it's just a way of looking at the difference between unconsciously always having the habit of hanging on and getting and taking and storing up and feeling safe and secure by having and getting and being busy and all that versus cultivating the opposite habit of kind of opening up and letting go, let it be, let it, you know, let's let's not be quite so tightly holding on to things. So that's really the movement of renunciation is just is letting, relaxing. It's really about relaxing. There's some more hands up here. Did the mic go somewhere? So it was along the same lines, but the letting go into. So it sounds like you're not necessarily, well, I don't know. Are you letting go into something else, or are you letting go into kind of the absence of the thing? You that know, you're that is a great question, because it, I've had both work. So um, to give a really concrete example, I started to notice that um, when I would go through some kind of tension at work, I would crave chocolate. <laughs> so I found myself driving home a lot craving chocolate. And after repeat, repeating this you know, bad habit many, many times, because it really wasn't that great to always be self-soothing tension with chocolate, I started to feel, oh, to actually be able to summon the feelings of how it was disadvantageous, how it didn't feel good to always dive in the direction of self-soothing with chocolate. So um, what happened next, just first there was kind of noticing, well, why don't, why don't I think it's a good idea or what feels bad about it? So I could first kind of feel the, start to summon how it actually didn't feel great to do. And then my mind started to go, you know, if you really are hungry, and that's always a question, if you really are hungry, wouldn't it be nice right now to have an apple? So it just... Uh, actually substitution did work in that case to just substitute a more wholesome habit. Other times there's just letting go of the burden. So I've also noticed if if I track a craving like that, just feel it in the body, feel it, and just hang with it, I could feel, poof, it would go away on its own in a few minutes. And that actually, the absence of it felt really good. So I was kind of letting go into just being with my body and then feeling that release of it and it actually felt physically very nice. So does that help answer the question? Can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. So this is more about like parenting and challenging moments and parenting and and I don't know like what to let go into in that kind of moment, you know? So a difficult moment in parenting, my goodness. Yeah. There, there's, I mean, and that is something to appreciate in itself is 
there's no such thing as perfection in parenting as far as I've heard. <laughs> there's lots of books about it, but sometimes um, what I've noticed parents do uh, in, when I used to do a mindful parents group here with another uh, couple people, what I noticed that they would do sometimes is just breathe almost a sigh or a few breaths of self-compassion, like, this is not easy. You know, just maybe even just breathing once or twice or three times to know that the challenges, the way, you know, kids keep changing, the way buttons get pushed, the way things happen, just letting go, perhaps letting go into that. I don't know. It's, that's a deep, deep question. Yeah. And I think there are probably a lot of parents yeah. in the room who might on the next, you know, afterwards might be interested in sharing um, that you could form a little subgroup and talk about <laughs> what parents can let go into because uh, there's Thank a lot you. to it. Yeah, thanks. This, this idea seems to have gotten everyone's attention because what I was going to say, I, I won't say as much about it, was the issue of if you let go, what do you replace it with? And that's what we as a group came up with. We were, we were each pretty good at saying what we would let go of. And then it was, well, what do you do with the... You know the emptiness of it, or the missing of it, or do you replace it? What do you replace it with? And I thought of just think of it as a trade. You want to get rid of something, but you don't want to leave a void. So you're going to trade it for something else positive. It's a, a positive upward trade, and that's kind of where we ended. Um, so that was the, the hardest question, is what do you replace it with, if anything? Thank you. That's great. Uh, I really appreciated you saying this is not easy. I think that was like, I, just, I needed to hear that because I think that's the very next step. Um, I could use many things, but the safe one was food for me <laughs> at this, this round. Um, and I thought about it. It's like, oh, yeah, when I want to make that stop at Jack in the Box or when I want to get that, you know, just be able to say, this is not easy. This is not easy. That was a great gift you gave me because it's something I can use immediately. It's just acknowledging the suffering that's going on and kind of soothing myself and saying, yeah, yeah. It worked for a long time, but you know what? It doesn't always have to work that way, just acknowledging it. So thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and that's important because... um, it can be a bit of a trap to substitute. I just want to acknowledge that. You don't want to always have to have something else that you can grab onto. And it can be helpful to just sit with either this is not easy and just the, the way the heart feels or 
be with the absence of any quick solution and just feel how that feels. That's good to do. Um, some habits are obviously not serving um, one well, and you can identify them almost immediately. But then there are um, possibly habits of that you're not sure whether they're serving you well or not. And um, so I'm wondering if still renunciation is still always better than, than any habit, even possibly what are wholesome habits. I would really emphasize getting to know it. Investigation, staying with it. If you don't know if it's right or not, then I would just stay with it until you get a feeling of what's, what's with this, you know, why you're questioning it. You know, so just, uh, just getting to know yourself, not being in such a rush to change everything. I mean, the chief thing that I let go into is just the pleasure of, getting, of what's actually happening in the moment. You know, if I'm, I don't know, just breathing and being and, you know, a little moment of meditation, even if I'm not sitting on the cushion, just being aware, looking around, appreciating the day, and you know, just being, just being. So it doesn't always have to be a substitute habit. I think we ought to yeah, it's um, a good moment to move to our next topic. And we'll, we'll have some time, hopefully, at the end. And y- also, you're also, you're always welcome to stay and ask questions or talk about something. Because, you know, sometimes we don't want to ask our question in front of the group or we're not prepared to share the thing but uh, in front of the group. So um, you got a good start on exploring this idea of renunciation or letting go of this tightness around you know got to have things a certain way and what I've noticed is that these um, three right intentions are actually so interwoven in some ways so it's helpful that we started with that you know having to hold on to something using something for self-soothing to be a certain way the other two um, I really appreciated that Chris described them in kind of their non, the absence of way, and also with words that talk about a positive virtue. So the other two could be uh, said as non-ill will and non-harming. And from there, sometimes the positive virtues of loving kindness the, you know, springs up out of non-ill will or loving friendliness, or I've heard people just call it kindness, springs up when there's enough space for non-ill will, sometimes a positive virtue comes in. The thing that springs up out of a space for non-harming is, could be called harmlessness, or it could be called compassion. So there's, there are synonym, synonyms that are sort of helpful here. But what's so important about this um, path of working with these things is to first give yourself plenty of time. And, you know, give yourself the time. It will, the time will be taken whether you want to give it to yourself or not. For a few decades, you might be hanging out with the presence of ill will, the presence of harming. And these things can be 
very subtle, just like the presence of craving or clinging or wanting things to be a certain way. So the reason I say you're going to take a while to do this probably is that our lives are full of interactions and experiences. And I've noticed it, you know, there's, I've always had the tendency to want to rush through and, you know, get it done and let's get on to freedom here. But, you know, that actually didn't help me all that much because what happens when you do that kind of checklist, like, oh yeah, okay, there it was, there was harming, I've moved on to compassion, is that you miss a lot. And this practice kind of requires us to get to know it gradually. It's called the gradual practice for a reason and to get to know it deeply and really, really well. So we get all these opportunities. I mean, just as you go throughout your month, look at all the opportunities that will come up in a day, a week, over the course of the month to see examples within yourself and also within others of where they are wanting reality to be different than it is, wanting things to be a certain way, that kind of greed, that kind of craving where we are wanting things to be different than they are, pushing things away, that, that is ill will. It's pushing things away. It's aversion. It's, I don't want this this way. I can't have things be this way. If only I did everything perfect, it wouldn't come out this way. There's a little bit of ill will in there. Ill will is not a word that you know we may use very frequently in common talk, but there's ill will there. And then this issue of harming. Not, you know, I don't think you folks are going around killing people or, you know, per- perhaps not striking them. Although I do want to say there may be people in this room who have had experience of life coming to an end. You know, may have served as a soldier, may have served as a police officer, may have been a woman who had a pregnancy coming come to an end. So I just, I don't want to skip over those things. So maybe big harm has happened in your life, but also maybe lots and lots of tiny harm has happened um, or, or just comes up in the heart. So this process of um, seeing what those things are, what are those movements of mind into ill will or into harmfulness, um, and really getting to know them well, mindfully seeing them helps them lift off of us like a giant burden taken off your shoulders. And when that burden is absent, when we have the absence of these things, there is actually tremendous freedom in the absence of these things. You know, it's like we've been hauling around this giant backpack, maybe sack over our shoulder, dragging along lots of different ways in which the heart is not feeling so great. And when we let go of that, let go into positive virtues, let go into just the space of mindfully noticing it, um, it can feel very good. And then these positive virtues of loving kindness or friendliness, of compassion, harmlessness, like you, you're, people can trust you, not going to hurt a fly. Those virtues tend to spontaneously come up and they can also be cultivated. So, um, the Four Noble Truths that we studied with Right View, um, suffering, its causes, the end of it, the Eightfold Path, um, the way we take this into action with this business of 
non-ill will and non-harming is we start to notice, you know, you could say their thoughts, you could say their movements of the mind, or you could say they're just inclinations of the mind. Like Chris said earlier that um, our, our minds get into certain habits. So, for example, I'm going to hazard a guess that I'm not the only person in this room who's had a habit of uh, harsh self-judgment. Has anybody here, you know, had any self-judgment? So that's a movement of perhaps unfriendliness towards yourself or perhaps a little ill will towards yourself when you didn't get it just right from the very beginning of everything you ever did. So some criticisms come up. Um, so these, this is a way in which, even in our attitudes towards ourself, how suffering is getting created. So it's a way that we are contributing to our own suffering. We may not have caused all of our own suffering. In fact, I don't think we did. There's plenty of causes around for suffering, but it's how we contribute to it that we're really focused on here. What did we add that brought suffering to us? So this, you know, ill will um, is also, I'm going to give you some synonyms or some different things that you may have experienced in your life. I'm just going to read a list and I want, I'd like, you can close your eyes if you like over the next couple minutes and just allow examples to bubble up in you uh, that are meaningful in your life when we're talking about this issue of ill will. So this unskillful, unhelpful intention of ill will that might appear in your experience might appear as a time when you pushed an experience away. You did not want it to be happening and it was happening. Just plain not wanting something that is, it's already occurring, not wanting it. Aversion to things. Resistance to things. Maybe you felt yourself trying to push through resistance to something that's happening inside you or happening in your life and you feel resistant. Maybe you feel anger about the appearance of something in your life. And this could be some situation. It could be your own behavior. It could be somebody else's behavior. So anger. Maybe you felt resentment coming up. That's a form of ill will. You know, there are conditions you don't, you don't know how to change or you've tried changing them. They don't change according to what you want and you feel resentment about it. Another form of ill will that you may have seen in your life would be deciding someone is just difficult. Or I've had kids here at IMC tell me they had enemies. I was like, what is what what do you mean you have enemies? What's an enemy? And it was a, just a very difficult person that they didn't know how to deal with. So if you felt ever felt someone is difficult or they're an enemy and you've kind of put them in that category in your head. This is a difficult person. This is I mean if anybody pays any attention to the news at all, you may notice some reactions as we go through the election cycle to some things that some candidate says or someone says about something. 
Does that feeling come up? Does that judgmental feeling come up about anybody in politics or any of the political statements that are made? Or does judgment come up towards yourself? Are you your own worst critic? That's ill will. Or does insecurity come up in you? You ever notice that shakiness that wants to feel more solid? Um, If you ever feel opposition to what is already here, but you feel opposition to it in a way that doesn't feel healthy or helpful to you. If you ever strive to get rid of states of mind or body, you sit down to meditate and you're like, oh, pain in my knee, I can't have that. That I am going to work on that. I'm going to drill on that until that goes away. I'm, oh, I'm sitting down and I'm distracted. I am going to get focused. It's a little bit of ill will. Maybe you can hear it in there. Um, Wishing for an unpleasant experience to end or the idea that all experiences should always be pleasant. What's up with me? What's up with this world that it's not one unending stream of pleasant experiences? Clinging to concepts or ideas of how things should be better than they are or could be better than they are. Um, Impatience. Just enduring or getting through something. Just going through the motions until this ends. I cannot wait for this to end. I'm just going to go through the motions until this ends. So, if the, you know, when you're ready, you can open your eyes and maybe these gave you some sense of what ill will is present in your life. And we're not talking about here about discernment between things that are really... Um, unhealthy that we can we could all agree um, you know don't go and drink tainted water just because you're free of ill will it's uh, this is not that kind of thing this is really about noticing internally when there's some resistance some pushing away why are those things there so there are some interesting ways that these things might get started so one of them can just be simply impatience. You know, we can feel ill will when we're impatient. If it's as simple as, you know, when you're driving and you're late and you want to get where you're going and suddenly traffic's really heavy, that's a really simple example. But maybe you've noticed impatience with yourself or impatience with other people can cause this little movement of ill will or of not wanting things to be the way they are. Um, Maybe you've noticed that uh, there's, like I mentioned before, resistance to the unpleasant. So something unpleasant comes up, or we face actually quite a few unpleasant things, and there's some belief in you that that's not supposed to be that way. So there's a tiny bit of this pushing away. Or um, another cause can be fear. You know, our fear... Fears are fed by our thoughts. And if you've noticed anything about fear and you you think certain things, you become fearful or you're apprehensive about it, that feeds more thinking and more fear. Could be anxiety. That can bring up some ill will. Um, Also, uh, just another way to think of it is just, you know, things in human life come and go and they don't always meet up. So what happens inside you when they don't meet up and everything's not going beautifully? What happens inside? Sometimes it's this movement of ill will. 
Now, if we let go of that, just imagine if you don't ever have to resist experiences that are actually coming up in you. If, you know, what's coming up in, in you can just be mindfully accepted as this is what's here now. I'm going to be with what's here now. Sometimes that attention alone will relieve you of the burden of ill will. Just noticing, oh, wow, I felt a little irritable towards traffic as I was driving because I left 10 minutes too late to get where I was going. So I was irritable. That was a little bit of ill will. Then when I noticed it, I thought, you know what? It's not going to help anybody to feel ill will in traffic. <laughs> it's not going to help anybody to race for the exit. There's a whole lot of stuff like that. That's Even noticing political ads, is it going to help to be all agitated all the time? No, it's really not going to help anyone. To, you know, so listening to political ads or statements and noticing the reactivity that comes up. So when we're free of it, there's room for friendliness towards it. You could be friendly towards your own unpleasant experience, actually, believe it or not. Notice something unpleasant where life doesn't meet up for you and actually taking an attitude of like, this is how it is. I can be friendly with this. I can introduce some ease that life doesn't always line up. Maybe you can become more connected, more relaxed, or actually have this idea of kindness come up or friendliness or loving kindness. So um, that's a little excursion into ill will and it's a positive virtue of non-ill will, actually the absence of ill will, and then letting the arising of friendliness or kindness come to you around some of these things. There's a formal practice, and if I have time, um, I'll introduce a, a short formal practice. Just want to see a show of hands. How many people here have done some loving kindness or some metta practice or loving friendliness practice? Great, so a number of people have. And so we can cultivate just plain um, knowing that this is going on, this arising of ill will. We can know that it goes on. We can watch for it. We can, be mi- we can apply the effort to watch for it. We can be mindful of it when it comes up. And that in itself, just continually coming back to being mindful of ill will coming up, can release it over time. But there's also this positive practice of loving kindness, of actually sending good intentions towards yourself, good thoughts towards yourself and good thoughts towards other people. And what that will do, it's, it does two really great things. One is it'll show you right away where there's ill will. Because the first thing that often happens when you start to, a lot of people say they have great difficulty doing loving kindness for themselves. So the, the practice is saying, you, you would close your eyes to do this practice. You would summon a positive image of yourself, like yourself at your best moments. You know, when you're being kind and, and helpful in the world, anything good about yourself. A lot of people have trouble with that to begin with. So that shows that this ill will thing is present. Or um, when they say the phrases, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be safe, may I be free of suffering. 
when we say that, trying to be as really sincere, really feel those things towards ourselves. sometimes when we notice that that's not what we feel, that shows us where the suffering is. Then um, when we do that practice, the next thing we do is we usually extend it out. After doing it for yourself, you could do it for yourself for a year, by the way, or you could do it for yourself for five minutes and then turn to the next uh, person that you would do it for. But this is a deep practice. If you did only loving kindness for yourself for a year, you would have a r- an improvement probably in a lessening of suffering. But next, people often turn to loving kindness for uh, somebody who's been very helpful in your life. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's somebody who's just been always been super kind, shown up for you. And you say those same kinds of phrases. May may you be happy. You you summon a picture of them in all their goodness. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe and free from harm. May you be free of suffering. Now, I noticed when I did that for mentors, if there was some tiny little bit of ill will about some one time that things didn't go so great, that would pop up and be able to be seen. So this is a great practice. You do it for a mentor, then you do it for, um, let's see, next is a friend, someone who's friendly in your life. Then you do it for a stranger, somebody you don't know anything about at all. And then do it for a difficult, quote, difficult person. Um, so those practices can really show you where ill will is coming up. And then they turn at some point, they turn and you actually start to feel really good about, uh, you know, those people, maybe even yourself, (laughs) but about the mentor, maybe it's pretty easy to feel really good about the friend. Maybe it's easy. Then you, you, the day comes that you're doing it for a difficult person and you feel good feelings towards them. So it's a beautiful way to turn the heart in another sense. So um, that is the cultivation of non-ill will. The arising of loving kindness can happen either through just being mindful of all these occasions of ill will or by deliberately doing metta practice, doing this loving friendliness practice. And that practice um, is a great one. So then what about this uh, opposite of compassion, the opposite of being free of harmfulness, being harmless? Um, Sometimes this is referred to as hostility. So first we need to see what is there that is not entirely compassionate? What is not entirely free of harm in ourselves? The uh, unskillful intention would be hostility. So again, I'll read you a list of synonyms so that, you know, maybe you don't think of yourself as a hostile person. Maybe you do have moments when you felt downright hostile and you knew it. Um, But I'm going to read the synonyms because I think sometimes it helps people to connect to something that's come up in their life that's in this arena. Uh, By the way, I want to backtrack for a second and say that loving kindness is the wish for happiness for others and yourself. Um, Compassion is the wish that others and yourself be free of suffering. So there is a distinction. They can kind of blend together in some people's minds, but happiness is the subject of loving kindness. Freedom from suffering is the subject of compassion. 
So I'm going to read this list, and again, you can close your eyes if you wish, but just allow any experiences in your life to bubble up that uh, might be examples of how the unskillful intention of hostility might appear in your experience. It might appear as compulsive behaviors that end up harming yourself. You know, uh, using substances that don't help you, including um, overeating, and you know you're overeating and it's not comfortable. Or gambling, and you you know it's not really helpful to be spending your money that way. So compulsive behaviors could be examples of unskillful hostility. Impulses towards harmfulness. There may be times you want to lash out with words, or you may want to physically lash out. We can get triggered. We can get to these extremes. You might feel a feeling, especially around this election cycle, of them versus us. If you've ever felt them versus us, um, that's an example of hostility arising. You might feel some aggression about it. You might find yourself feeling very reactive. That can be evidence of hostility, where you just pop off immediately uh, inside yourself. You can feel that anger or that feeling of, of meanness or cruelty Fighting yourself can be an example of hostility. If you ever struggle with yourself, there could be some hostility there. Inner or outer violence. So if you ever feel violent uh, uh, feelings towards yourself or toward the world around you. Um, Self-hatred, self-judgment, harshness. Other judgment, other hatred, harshness. So just listening to those synonyms might give you an idea of where you might be feeling hostility. Even if you uh, see a lot of ambition or drivenness in your life, push, you know, you have to push yourself. There can be a little hostility towards the self in that ambition and drivenness that you've got to get there now. I'm trying to control your mind in meditation. Trying too hard. So the opposite of that, when you're ready, you can open your eyes. First, letting go. Um, But how do we let go of that? First of all, we might notice what is actually going on there. Sometimes when we feel that hostility or that lack of compassion, it can be that it's just really hard to be around the pain, our own pain or another person's pain. Sometimes we respond with intolerance because we it's so difficult or we get overwhelmed this happens to people who um, have intentions of activism maybe it looks so overwhelming there's so much suffering around that it's just too overwhelming so shutting down being apathetic is another way that this um, movement away from compassion happens this uh, idea of being hard on yourself. It really, hard on ourselves, hard on others. They are very, very closely related. So wherever you notice yourself being a little too tough with yourself or a little too tough with other people. But this is an important area to study. Um, 
intolerance in our culture, fear of what we don't know or understand can bring this up. And instead, we have this option of letting go of all of that, not having. We could, we could be going through a political season and not being reactive. We could be very clear on the issues and where we stand on the issues. We could be very much involved and engaged in activism and not carry the burden of hostility or reactivity or this, you know, a little bit of violence or a lot of violence inside. Instead, we could, when we see these things and recognize them, again, this combination of understanding that this does happen in our lives, applying mindfulness again and again to just uncover, where is this happening? Where am I feeling a little bit of hostility? Where am I not feeling particularly compassionate? Where am I shut down? Where am I apathetic? Where am I reactive? Just seeing it mindfully and then... uh, again and again, applying mindfulness can release it over time. It can release these things. But also, um, we can deliberately open, open our minds, open our hearts. This idea that a lot of people are working on is how to have a dialogue with someone who totally has opposite opinions from yours. How to have that dialogue. How do, how do we, how are we firm on not wanting harm to come to other people? But, not hostile, not aggressive, not reactive. How can, we, how can we find that line? This is a big one for us around the world right now in, and in our culture. Um, how can we find a way to be with compassion, to be open, to soften, to allow experience um, to come to us without that? So... Um, there is also a formal compassion practice that you can do, which is, again, you know, you might start with yourself, but calling yourself to mind where you are struggling, where you are suffering, and saying the phrase in your own mind towards yourself, may I be free from suffering? Just, it could be as simple, it could be more elaborate if you want to invent your own phrase, but may I be free of suffering? really meaning it, really staying with that struggle in yourself and saying that. Again, you can do it towards a mentor or somebody who's always been really great to you in your life. You can do it towards a friend. You can do it towards a complete stranger. You can do it towards, you know, if somebody's uh, somebody you don't know at all, you can pick somebody out at random and say, may you be free of suffering in your mind. Um, a, A so called difficult person somebody who's on the other side of the political spectrum, probably even in your own family, and you know it. Uh, may, may you be free. May, may you be free of suffering. May you be free of intolerance. May you be free of this kind of burden of pain. You can say those phrases and cultivate the heart. And then, again, it's a litmus test. It'll show you where there's that little bit of reactivity and hostility. So... Compassion and loving kindness allow us to remain open in the face of provocation. Um, again, just there may right intention. This, these right intentions of renunciation, non-ill will, non-harming, or 
Some say the, you know, positive virtue that can come out of renunciation is generosity. Um, the positive virtue that can come out of non-ill will is loving kindness, friendliness. The positive virtue that can come out of non-harming is compassion. Those three qualities are enhanced by just keep coming back to the mindfulness. Keep coming back. Allow yourself, not as Chris said, not as a project where you're hammering on yourself all month, but just now that you've heard these things, see what pops up in your experience and then be there for it. Um, It allows us to take responsibility for our contribution to our suffering. Like I said, we don't cause the entirety of our own suffering, but our contribution is where we actually suffer. We don't cause all the negative conditions in the world, but our contribution to how we react against it is where we suffer. And um, I just encourage you to be patient and curious. You know, allow yourself to get to know these things really well with, um, without trying to push away or repress or be hard on yourself. Just see how they operate. See how it, it comes up. And the more thoroughly you can investigate it, the more naturally your heart will open to the positive qualities. So I've said probably more than enough about that. And it's time for another breakout session. So you get to hear from your peers. So this time, I'll, I'll read the question again before we break into groups. But you, you have the idea from last time of just sharing um, three minutes apiece and listening to the other person and then going around one person at a time without comment from each other. And the question is, um, what surprised you? As I gave you those reflections where I was giving you those synonyms for ill will or hostility, what surprised you? And again, feel free to share something that's safe for you to share. It's wonderful when you have the courage to share something that might be a little tough. And um, I did a check on perfection in the room and there's nobody in the room that's perfect and there's nobody in the room that's the Buddha yet as far as I, nobody, you know, we could raise hands right now if you're the Buddha, but if you're not, you're in good company with the rest of us. So if you want to share something that's uh, personal, you may, or you may share something safe about what surprised you that came up when you reflected on ill will in yourself or uh, harmfulness. And then the second part of this question is what would you like to cultivate more of, you know, in response to that? What, what could help you in response to any ill will that you notice coming up? Or what could help you in response to any lack of compassion, any harmfulness, any apathy or shutting down? So um, this time let's try groups of five. So if you could find four other people, maybe find a few new people at least that you haven't sat with and spread out because we will ring the bell um, to call you back. So three, about three minutes apiece. What would help you address, uh, you know, what might be a positive thing that could help you with ill will or any hostility that you noticed that came up? I think we had a question in our group. So if there's, um, you know, ill will happening directly towards you, um, so how do you um, not have any ill will towards them? 
Yeah, that's a great question. That's something I was thinking about too. Is you know, it, the, it's it's our natural response to meet it with ill to meet ill will with ill will, and that's what we're working on here. And it's not. It may not be so easy to go directly to loving kindness. It usually isn't. But there's what we one thing we were talking about. Maybe I'll just say it now. Is this this getting in touch with in your body what is ill will hatred that kind of wanting to punch somebody what does that feel like and how can that be transformed into a kind of strength you know to stand your ground and stand for what's right and stand for not being bullied and and you know have the ability to take some action when action is needed but that it doesn't have it's almost like a kind of twisted sour you know it hurts you it's it's taking energy in a way that really hurts you to add hatred and add ill will to it you know so there's there's really the, there's a wish may this person who's causing harm may they be wiser you know may they not cause harm may they may they find wisdom may they find may they be free from suffering because most harm causing is actually coming out of some kind of suffering in that person so you know, transforming it to that and then also using it to find the strength in you so that it's not so much gripping at your heart but it's more in your spine, you know, in your belly and giving you the courage to stand there and, you know, really hold your ground. So it's not just turning into a puddle of, you know, not standing up for what's right. I don't know if that's helpful, but it's something that we need to work with. The other thing I like about uh, Chris bringing it into the physical realm is that if you think about if you know the martial art Aikido where people take the energy coming toward them and they they turn and let the energy sort of move past they don't meet it with violence they kind of allow the energy to flow through this kind of being able to relax every kind of uh, martial artist I think they relax in the body there's total preparedness there's strength there's a you know, firm stance, but there's also a relaxation that doesn't need to meet force with force. Yeah. Sometimes it's very transformative to some people just to be able to, you know, when you're angry, you want to say your piece. And the more you're met with somebody who insists on out shouting you, the louder you shout. And so, in some ways, there's a courage in letting people totally express themselves you know not to the point of hurting you but say whatever they have to say just just standing there and you know some, sometimes people can hear what they've said and it, it has a, some kind of it moves through in some way sometimes I just want to clarify on that on that last bit that you uh-huh. both have been talking about so you're standing your ground and letting whatever's being said be said and then are you just deflecting um, Sorry, that that analogy falls short in that vein. With with physical action, it actually moves the energy past you so that it doesn't harm you. The thing that Chris is talking about verbally, if you let somebody fully say their piece, I've noticed uh, it takes a while sometimes if somebody really has a lot of energy and maybe a lot of hostility in what they're saying or just a lot of energy, it takes a while for them to say their piece. And... In personal interactions, I've noticed if I'm able to, you know, mirror back what they're saying. So 
if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that it's X. And if they go, yeah, it's X, the more they can do that, the more they tend to calm down, especially if I'm doing it in a relatively calm voice. Like, okay, and for you, X is also Y. Yeah, it's X and Y. And then just, you know, by tone of voice, by other things, you can kind of bring your own centeredness to the other person sometimes. So that, that clarifies. So it's not not engaging. Right. Right. Shutting down is one of the unhelpful things, right? Shutting down, becoming apathetic, just like I'm going to crawl back in my shell because I can't take this. Now, we did, when we were having our own private conversation, Chris compared it to, okay, what do we do when there's a natural disaster? So let's, let's look at it that way. When there's a natural disaster, first we have to make sure we survive it. So you're not going to stand in the middle of the hurricane. You're going to seek shelter. You're going to make sure you're safe and and your needs are cared for. And then responsiveness can come once certain conditions are in place. But it's important to get grounded, get safe. So it's not. It, there may be times when it's not helpful to respond in the moment to someone who has a lot of energy, and there may be times when it is. So I think this kind of goes with what you were saying, but um, try to tease it out a little bit. Yeah, so if the most skillful move is to eventually go to like loving kindness or compassion, but you can't get there right away, that there's too much of whatever it is. Is it skillful, say, you're sitting down to meditate and you're trying to process everything. Let's say there's a lot of anger or, or rage about something. It, is, is it useful to let that out and just be with it and concentrate on that, hold that, until, if it will, it just kind of burns itself away and then you can go on and do something else yeah. I, I found yeah. that's more true of my case like it, yeah it's not yes. possible to go straight to meta absolutely. or compassion absolutely unless there's repress- repression of this yes. thing absolutely. which doesn't seem like it would be healthy but it right. also it's like but you're letting this out and concentrating on it and cult- not, not necessarily, necessarily cultivating it but letting it be giving it letting space. Letting it be, letting it be, before and doing, giving on. it a lot of space, and not, not, you know, especially when you're meditating, that's pretty safe. You're not going to actually hit somebody, but you know, letting it, letting it come out, letting it be felt, letting it be seen as a bodily within your body as a bodily reaction, without trying to, yeah, and and you know, yeah. There's a difference. You can watch what your mind is doing. Is your mind is engaged in fueling it with more stories about who said what and all that. That's not so skillful. But if there's a part of your mind that's really bigger than the experience and is kind of saying, "Wow, look at this," you know, "Wow," you know, as long as you've got that part of the mind that's able to watch it, and you aren't just totally involved in the story still about what happened, then that's as skillful. long as you don't fuse with it. Yeah, yeah. Don't com- not be completely merged with it and completely 
agreeing with it in a kind of self-righteous way. You know, are you practicing self-righteousness or are you practicing holding what anger feels like? You know, and letting it work through your body. Isn't that uncomfortable? Yes. Well, giving it a more and more space. You know, I, I like the old story about, you know, a wild horse, you give it a big pasture, you know, and let, let it wear itself out, you know. So just mentally thinking of, wow, there's a lot of space, and you might, it might help you to look around the room, you know, while you're feeling it. It's not always skillful to close your eyes and think of yourself closing down on it, but open up, look outside, look at the trees, you know, and feeling that and disengaging your mind from continually thinking about the circumstances of it. So you're kind of, it's like taking your foot off the gas, but not slamming on the brake, you know? So you're, you're letting the car kind of slow down. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, that process can take a while. It can take more than one sitting. It can take more <laughs> than one day. So more than one be, decade. Yeah, more than one decade. <laughs> being patient with it and, and recognizing that uh, this practice isn't saying that we only ever experience pleasant things. We have to learn to be with unpleasant as well. Because it's 329, I just want to invite this last question and then say that um, please feel free to come up afterwards if there's more. But I want to be respectful of people who may have have to get home on time. Uh, I just wanted to say I found it most helpful to um, remember that um, we can respond to very difficult people by stepping back and sending them positive uh, energies. And it made me reflect on my Catholic upbringing where you pray for other people that are in trouble. You know, so-and-so's having a surgery or so-and-so's need help. And so this is not really something I find prominent in Buddhist practice. So I want to just say that uh, it's not outside of it either. Um, And so I found that most useful to, um, especially in dire situations where it's very difficult emotionally, that probably, you know, creating a three-day practice of compassion for this person, for me, is going to help me. Because otherwise, you feel helpless. And uh, that's really not the idea of (laughs) renunciation, (laughs) which is to... uh, you know, surrender. Surrender in not that way, but rather recognizing that, especially if circumstances are beyond your control, it doesn't mean that other forces can't be uh, marshaled to that person's uh, support. So I just wanted to say that. That's wonderful. Thank you. Because the loving-kindness practice, saying those phrases, or the compassion practice, can help... It can help bring that feeling of we are tied together. We are related to one another, so it's helpful. Thank you so much. Okay, let's just take a few seconds here. Just sit for less than a minute here.
Okay, may the benefit of our work together this afternoon be dedicated to the welfare, the happiness, and the freedom of all beings everywhere. Okay, so please practice this month with ease in mind, not perfectionism. 